So welcome everybody to episode five of the Back to Sport podcast. Uh, today we have another guest for you. We've got Steve Parry. He is a professional golfer and has been since 2001. Um, his career highlight will be, which I'm sure he's going to talk about in a little bit more detail for us, is, is participating in the British Open in 2007. So, hi Steve. Hello Steve, how are you? Hi, yeah, uh, good to hear from you. Um, I think the first thing we'll do is, obviously we've, we've said you're a, a professional golfer uh, there in the intro, so there's obviously lots of levels within, within uh, the game of golf, so if you can just sort of give us a... Um, a bit of info on the level you play at, the kind of tournaments you play at, and um, sort of what your expectations are as as, as a golfer. Uh, I was looking to try and play on the Euro Pro Tour, but it all got cancelled due to the coronavirus. Uh, I've just come back from Florida, where I played uh, one of the lower tours. The lower ones, they actually call them mini tours. Yeah. So I was playing the mini tours over in the US, um, and I got my game in good order, and I was coming back to the UK to play all the mini tours here and uh, the PGA sec- uh, regions, they call them. So it's like the Pro-Ams and things like the Cheshire Open, the Lancashire Open, the Manchester Open, Leeds Cup. A lot of people might not know that these events happen, but they have some great players playing them. They have some guys that are... They've, they've won millions on the European Tour in the past and now they're playing on these events. So you could have a guy playing at your home course who's won two, three million pen on the European Tour and you didn't even know about it. I've had a few stints over on the Asian Tour and I've played the Sunshine Tour in South Africa for a few years, um, but never really actually had a card for the full season, especially on the European Tour. So we talked about your career highlight briefly in the intro. So uh, as mm-hmm. we said, you, you, you took part in the in the British Open in, in 2007. Yeah, so... a long time ago that now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it feels a long time ago for you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. 2007 it was. So it was at Carnoustie, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It wasn't the tough year. The tough year at Carnoustie was the tournament before it. I think it was 99 or something. When they, Do you remember when they let the rough go really long? And tied yeah. The and they all really struggled. Yeah. Well, the next definitely. time they had it at Carnoustie, they cut the rough down, so it was a lot more playable. Oh, so you're going to have to come up with your excuse then now. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so i mean obviously that's that's something many golfers sort of aspire to to take part in the british open so can from your from your um opinion how, how was that was it um was it as good an experience as you envisaged it was but it was the stories you get from it that were a better experience so yeah it was nice to play in it but a few other things were a little bit more special i'll give you an example when I first started to try and qualify for the Opens years and years ago, when I was about 21, there was a local greenkeeper called Wurzel, we called him. He was from down in um, Somerset Way, so we nicknamed him Wurzel. And um, in then day, I think they still do, actually. Greenkeepers, you can apply to be a raker. You know, you go around and follow the players and rake the bunkers in the Open. Right. So Wurzel for years and years and years, has said to me, he says, Steve, if you ever get in the Open, I know you're trying to qualify every year, if you ever get in the Open, I'm going to sort it out so that I'm going to be your rate, man. Now, we're talking 10, 15 years later, and he's a good friend. And uh, I was going to the first tee on the first day. I wasn't particularly nervous. I was more up for it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it was the first round. I was playing with Charlie Hoffman. He's a, you know, you've probably heard of him. Yeah, yeah, from the American you know. tour. Yeah, definitely. That's it. 
So I was on the first tee and that Ivor Robson was there and I got, they actually, <laughs> funny in it, what you remember, they gave me two Rolex pitch mark repairers. You know, when you hit the greens and you have a pitch mark repairer to yeah. repair it, two Rolex ones, it were, it were great. <laughs> and then um, as I'm getting ready, I felt a tap on my shoulder and it was Wurzel. <laughs> anyway, I told you I'd do it for you. And he was stood there next to me. So all of a sudden I went from this, like a young lad who, could have been nervous to one of your good mates is on right behind you stood right next to you so it was like where the first tee was none of your friends and family could get near it so just to have someone who you knew so well next to the tee with you really helped and I remember teeing off and I boomed it right down the middle really good shot and um, I looked around for him to walk with him he's like no 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 you walk on your own I said not a chance so I got him to walk we both walked down the first together and all the friends and family were there you know, so that was a great story. I'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. I know you said you were up for it, but you must have been nervous on that first tee at the British Open, surely. Not at all. It's it's bizarre. Um, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. You know I've tried to play a bit of cricket in my time. Yeah. Every time I go playing cricket, every time I go in the middle to bat, my mouth is dry as you like. I'm nervous. I can, honestly, I'm in bits. On that first tee, I wasn't, I was up for it. It was more like, right, come on, you're having it. You know, so I'd heard a lot of other professionals saying that their hands were shaking so much they couldn't get the ball on the tee. I didn't feel like that at all. Well, I remember, I mean, <laughs> I um, went to the to the Belfry, um, for one of them Sunday drives with a few mates. Uh, and obviously it, it was sort of built up um, while we're playing at the Belfry, you know, the Ryder Cup's been there. <laughs> yeah. And I walked on the first tee and like you said, Nothing to play for, just playing with mates. It all seemed really official. Obviously, there's, there's a starter there on the first tee chatting to you. And I I was so nervous. Somehow <laughs> managed to do like half half a swing because I bottled it halfway around my swing. <laughs> Scuffed it a little bit down the middle, about 175 yards. And I just think, how have you stepped up on the first tee at the British Open and just thought, right, you're having it. That's... um. That's a good attitude to have, definitely. Well, a lot of people, this is where my head was at at that time. A lot of people think that they're getting judged on that first tee. They're not. You're getting judged on your score at the end of it. Yeah. So I knew I wasn't getting judged on my first tee shot. It could have gone anywhere. They would judge me on the score at the end of the day. So having that in my head, I, I was just hitting it. Plus, it's something I've done all my life. I've hit hundreds and hundreds of practice shots and I've played in tournaments. So getting under that pressure just made me faster and better you know it, it made me me more up for it instead of going the other way well it's, it's something i always think about that you, you get players at, you know at, at any sport at um and then they get to the level they want to play at or you know in that moment they want to play at and, and they say they're so nervous and you think it's it's daft in a way because that's what you that's what you want to do all your life isn't it and that's why you train yeah. and that's why you practice and when you get there really you should just take it all in and and not be nervous. But I guess um, I get I guess everyone's different, and I think most people would be would wish to be like you, stepping onto that first tee and not have the nerves. <laughs> well, I think it held me back that week. If anything, I was too up for it because I got to, I added half a decent first round and I had a good finish, and then in the second round I birdied the first hole actually, and I was out at eleven o'clock, and there was a lot of people in the audience and I had an open roar. Have you ever heard an open roar? No. When you go to a tournament, if someone does something like a birdie, 
all the people around the green, they make a big cheer and a roar, and it's like, rah, it was really cool. And I was like, oh, right, I'm up for it. So I think I went back to one over for the tournament, and I literally, I walked the next tee, and I was 20 foot high, and I was like, right, Tiger, come on, you're having it. <laughs> and I got to the next tee. Honestly, I wish I'd have been, like, calmed down. And this second old par four, was like 460, I think, and I hit this massive tee shot right down the middle. So I was pumped, I was buzzing. And then he had a six sign into the green. But all I saw was the pin. <laughs> Lack of experience. I should have been hitting it nowhere near the pin. But because I just made birdie and I got carried away myself, I went straight for the pin and just pulled it a little bit and ended up in some bushes. It was completely the wrong shot. I paid for a professional caddy at the time as well, and he should have he should have held me back a little bit. Anyway, I took I think I took a seven or an eight. And after that, it just spiraled and I went worse and worse. And then it was the situation got to me then because I was too up for it. If you know yeah. I should have been more, right, hold on. I don't need to go off that pin. Par is good here. Just play the game how it should be played. Yeah, well, just, so, to, give, just to give people a bit of context, obviously the, the playing in something like the British Open is so difficult and the, the course is set up to be difficult. But you shot a, a 73, which would have been uh, a one over par, would it, for the first round? Is that what I shot? 73? I think it was two over. Oh, yeah, 73. Well, it must have been then. It must have been a 71 par then. Because if you got a birdie on yeah. the first to go to one over, yeah. So you shot a 73. So a little quiz question for you then, Steve. <laughs> go on. Do your, your 73 in that first round was better than 18 other golfers that have won a major championship. Oh, now you're making me feel bad. Right. How many uh, of those, how many of those players do you think you could name? So you you beat I think I think I've got eighteen on this list. Eighteen players. Now some of them are old timers, or maybe two. You want or three. all eighteen, no? Well, I'm just wondering if you um if you realised who you beat on that first day. So if you can uh I remember having a little look, but I remember being shattered as well. So I think Marco Mira. Marco Mira's one, yeah. Uh VJ Singh. No, he shot a 72, if I remember. Uh, God, Tiger Woods. Did that no. beat Tiger? No, Tiger Woods shot a 73 on the second day. Ooh. You had? Nick Faldo. Nick Faldo. So there's another old-timer on there. Arnold Palmer. No, similar age to Nick Faldo, <laughs> I think. He was probably winning tournaments around the same time. Sandy Lyle. Sandy Lyle, yeah. Ian Woosnam. No, no, he wasn't on. I'll go through because we're talking... I'm just thinking the old guys now. Go on, go through a few. No, we're talking about some good golfers here. Charles Watzel. Yeah. yeah. Graham McDowell. Oh. Zach Johnson. Yeah. Adam Adam Scott. Oh, you've got Tony Jacklin, an old-timer on there. Mark Kalkovecchia. <laughs> Justin Leonard. Jeff Ogilvy. John Daly. Davis Love III. Francesco Molinari, who... I think last year was number one in the world yeah, for a, yeah. a brief period. I don't know where he still is. And Todd Hamilton. So, okay. you know, you, you might look back on it with a little bit of regret, but, you know, just oh, no, show. I don't regret it. I'll tell you another good story as well, then, if you're talking like this. Um, Wurzel, the guy raking my bunkers, I played the first, I think it was 12 holes in about five over. Now, the the last six or seven holes, however many it is, I can't use supposed to be the hardest in the in the major cycle. And I shot him two under for them. I think it was some, I, I, do you know, I can't even remember it was that long ago. Anyway, I played him in under par and on the 18th 
hole on the 18th green, he had like an 100-foot putt. And I've hit this putt, and it's nearly gone in. It stopped like an inch before it. And all I saw was Wurzel, like, jumping up and down <laughs> behind it. I'm thinking, what's going on with Wurzel here? So I've tapped it in, and he's come over to me. He's giving me a big hug. He said, oh, you're a beauty. I said, what's up? He said, I had a bet on you to win the three ball at three to one, 100 quid, and you've just won. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I beat Charlie Hoffman that day as well. Oh, wow. My three ball, yeah. Right, so we've... Uh... We'd give a brief, brief, brief intro. Sorry, the, the level sort of you play at, and I think yeah. uh, I know you have gone on to to do some coaching as well. And yeah. I've been uh, the recipient of one of your lessons as well, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I think trying to explain to people that are listening, if, if they don't know about golf, I think it's fair to say it's probably one of the most technical games in the world, and probably one of the most frustrating. I mean, would you? Would you go along with that? And as a as someone that's played uh, and is still playing to a decent level, how how frustrating can it get? Well, I suppose it's like any sport, really. When you're playing well, you think you're never going to play bad, and when you're playing bad, you think you're never going to play well again. But one thing about golf, which is frustrating, is the more practice you do, the worse you get at first. So I could go out tomorrow and I could do hit a thousand balls on the range. And then play the day after. I'll probably play worse than I've ever played in my life. It kind of takes two or three weeks for that practice to get better. Now, you talk about it being frustrating. A lot of the thing about golf is you've got to play more. So I'll be playing in pro-amps and I'll play with a guy and he'll say, oh, do you know, I always start the round really bad. But by the time I play 15, 16, 17, 18, I'm buzzing. I'm playing really well. And I'll say, yeah, I know you are. I said, and when are you going to play again now? Oh. Uh, maybe a, a month's time. And then he'll play in a month's time and the same thing will happen again where he'll play bad and then the last few holes will start playing well. The difference for me is that happens early season where I'll play and then I'll start playing well the, next three or four, uh, the last three or four holes. But then I'm playing again the day after. So I'm still playing well. And then the day after. So you can keep it going and going and going. It's such a hard game unless you're playing every day. It really is. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I had, I've had, um, I think I had about six lessons, um, and I remember after them first couple of lessons, thinking, "What have I done?" Because it was just completely <laughs> break down your whole swing, your grip, your stance. And I was going to the driving range, and at one point, I just couldn't hit the ball. But then, yeah, you know, you go back and you go back, and then suddenly you start doing it without thinking. But I think just to sum up, um, I know you obviously we talked about you, you aspiring to be. You know, on on the European tour. Yeah, I'm still trying, still at it. Yeah, I've um, I remember speaking to somebody. I, I genuinely can't remember who it was, but they sort of they sort of said this to me to try and explain how good the top golfers were. So obviously, you've got someone that's like an 18 handicapper, um, and they're probably trying to get down to uh, a zero handicap, and they were basically explaining that the gap between an 18 handicapper getting down to a no handicapper the gap from a no handicapper to then the top players is probably the same because the, the top players just that good. Do you think that uh, analogy is fair? Uh, do you think the top players are just that good that that gap is, is about right? No, I think it's due to experience. And the thing about golf is there are limited chances every year for you to get through, for you to get to the top. Like, there's a tour school every year where you've got to play well at a certain time. But the great players, they play well at the right time, I suppose. If I mean, I've no doubt, if you put me on tour now, 
I, if you guarantee me three years on tour, I could keep my card. I'd do well, might even win one. But the challenge in golf is not that. The challenge is getting there. And yeah. that's the hard thing. You've yeah. got to play right at the right times. You know, so I don't think the gap is that big. I just think that getting the right the right game out of yourself at the right time is key. Yeah. And then you just gotta start winning. You see loads of lads every year, there's maybe one or two lads who are at the very low level and they start winning. And they start winning and then they jump right up to the top level all in one year. And it in like maybe eight weeks they can do it because they're winning at the right time and they get on a roll. So, yeah, I don't agree with that. There's a massive gap. I just think you've got to do it at the right time, the right place, well, which talk- is what I've not been able to do, to be honest. Right. Well, we're talking about the uh, the best players. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question at you now. And looking at golfers past and present, maybe who who would you say has had the best golf swing that you've seen, oh, or the yeah. golf swing that you would like? That's a good question. That. <laughs> I've been thinking about that one. You sent me that the other day. Golf swings are funny because you can have the best looking golf swing in the world and you've not got a clue where the ball's going. Or you can have the worst looking golf swing in the world and you've got the golf ball on the string. You know, so it's it's other things that impress you. I know, yeah, I'm going to answer that question first. Say Payne Stewart, he's my favourite swinger at the club. You know, I watch him all the time on YouTube. Brant Snedeker, I love his swing too. And then I was playing in the minor league tour um, just before, no, just about a month ago. Oh, it's over a month now, actually. We've been in isolation for a month, haven't we? Yeah. Like six weeks ago. And it, this has probably only happened twice in my whole career. And I can't even remember who the other one was with. I was on the driving range in Florida and this young lad next to me started hitting balls. And I just watched him. I was mesmerised by his golf swing. You know, and it was flowing, it was smooth. But it was the flight of it. And once you get next to someone who's got a good... I'm going to say a good swing. It doesn't have to be a pretty swing. Or it doesn't have to be the best swing. A good swing is a one that gives you a really good strike and it gives you the whatever ball flight you want at any time. And when you watch somebody hitting balls and they've got the ball flight right and they can do whatever they want, it almost doesn't matter what move they make. You're just watching the ball and it's, it's really nice to see, actually. I guess the one thing about golf is it's so unique. You look at someone like yeah. Jim Furyk and you just think that a, co- yeah. a coach at some point must have said to him, that is not the right way to swing a club, but he didn't have a bad career, did he? Well, this is the thing in golf, right? I think I, I'm going to give you a good statement. Mate. I think I learned how to play golf at the age of 41. No, 40. Now, I've played all these tournaments not knowing how to play golf properly. I buy how weird's that? So why'd you say that? Well, I'll give you a little analogy, a quick analogy, right? So obviously it's quite it's quite complicated, it's quite advanced. But imagine you're playing snooker. You know when Ronnie O'Sullivan's playing snooker? Yeah. He's not thinking about that ball, is he? He's not thinking about just about his pot. You know, the white the first pot that he's got in his eye, he's almost not thinking about that. He's almost thinking about his next two or three shots, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to do that in golf. So all my life, I haven't thought about the next shot. I've only ever thought about this the shot that's in front of me. I almost got trained that this shot is the most important shot. Focus, focus on this shot. I'd never thought, how can I make my next shot easier? 
Well, that was a long answer, Steve, for who has the oh, best golf swing. I'm talking. <laughs> I know, yeah. Do you want to give us a name? <laughs> well, um, you mentioned Payne Stewart, didn't you? I love Payne Stewart, yeah. You've got Payne Stewart, you've got Brant Snedeker, Louis Westerson. They're all great. They're all great swingers, but they know where to put it. That's more impressive than the swing. Right, so let's talk about... I, I could probably guess who your top two are going to be, but you never know. You might throw some different names here. Who are the top five greatest golfers do you oh, think got, all time? Oh, you, you've got to go off the stats, haven't you? That's the boring answer, isn't it? You've got Tiger and you've got Jack Nicholas. Then you got Tom Watson and then Ben Hogan, Billy Casper. So some of the old guys are like phenomenal, you know. The modern times, then I suppose Rory McIlroy or a, a Dustin Johnson. Yeah, do you, do you think golf is probably the toughest it's ever been now, with the quality of players? The standard is definitely is far better than it used to be at every single level as well. You know, even at the lower levels where I'm playing, you've got to shoot five, six, seven under to win. I mean, definitely, the standard's a lot better. I mean, what I love about golf is you watch the majors and and. And how many people just win a major out of the blue? You know, you're talking 250, 300 to one. Regularly. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at yeah. someone off that list, Todd Hamilton. He won a major. And then I don't think he did anything yeah. for the rest of his career. Um, mm-hmm. What's the other guy? New Zealand guy, Michael Campbell. Michael Campbell, yeah. He won he US Open, didn't he? You know, and it just, yeah. you just don't know who's going to win it. And you get these people like Colin Montgomery and Lee Westwood that are there, second, second, third you know, in the major tournaments and never get to win one. And then these people just come along. I feel sorry for Lee. I think this year was his year. You know, he's been playing really well all winter and doing really well. And um, just like it was for Darren Clark when he was a little bit older, no no one was expecting it. I think this year might have been Lee's year and then everything's got cancelled. Oh, Oh, gutted. Yeah, I mean, you talk about someone like Lee Westwood, and I guess that leads into, into another question, really, that how much of golf is... Is, is natural because you look at someone like Lee Westwood and I think it's fair to say his driving fairway shots are probably throughout his career been in the top five, top ten, but yet his chipping and his putting just just let him down and yet that must be the one thing he practices and practices and practices and yet he's never going to be the same as you know one of the, one of the top players at, at that discipline. So I, I would how do you sort of quantify that? Why why do you think some people just can't improve at a certain part of the game? Sometimes people just do it better than you at that point. You know, I don't remember many times where he's three-putted or he's, he's hit shanks or he's, he's really messed up. I think it was just once where he went in the bunker. Was that against Tom Watson when Tom Watson nearly won it at um, Turnbury? I think Lee Westwood went in a bunker, which was a bad shot. Other than that, I think people have beat him, to be honest. I don't think he's given much away. Yeah, people are expecting him to hold 15, 20-footers, but the best in the world only get 10% of them. You're not supposed to hold as many as Jordan Spieth did when he won everything. God, he, he held everything. Yeah, I mean, I you know, watch Jordan Spieth. I mean, I don't think he's quite... I don't know what he's doing at the moment. I don't think he's quite to the to the level he was a couple of years ago, but it was literally on the green. You just expected that ball to disappear. And that's like you said, that just, that just doesn't happen all the time, does it? No. And he's had a bad time for quite a long time now. He's not been playing well 
but Lee Westwood's been around for 30 years, is it? 20, 30 years. So he's had longevity at the game. He might not have won a major, but he's, he's made fortunes in He's had a great life. And I bet so I'm going to make a commit then to this one. That bothered. I'm going to make a commit but, then to this one, one, one uh, answer now. Can Lee Westwood still win a major? Yeah, of course he can. You think so? Yes. Good. I think uh, a lot of people would uh, would like to see that. If he if he's the next major championships, if he makes that course as easy as he can and puts it in the right places, he can beat anybody. Good. That that's uh, that's certainly good to hear for because me for one would love to see him. It was frustrating watching someone like Montgomery not win one, and you know, I think it'll be frustrating if Lee Westwood doesn't win one because he certainly he certainly deserves to. Yeah, he's still quite fit, isn't he? He's still quite strong. Yeah, he's probably. I mean, if Tom Watson nearly won one at sixty, yeah. he's got another. He's got another. I don't even know how old he is. How old is he? Forty-six, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think he's about mid-forties. Yeah. Yeah, he's got another fifteen years left yet. Right, then moving on, then Steve. I've got a little. Uh, Go on. I've got a um, little title here saying the good and the bad. So. Um, I sent you this to have a little bit of a think about. So from yep. from guys you've met, I don't know whether you, you can discuss in detail who you spoke to at the British Open, but who's sort of one of the good guys that you've met? What you know, one of the big names that people would would know. Uh, I played with VJ Singh. He was a great guy. Yeah, uh, we had a practice round with him and David Frost. He, he was absolutely lovely. Um, now <laughs> you said bad guys. I had a practice round with Rory Sabatini, and he's he's got a reputation as being one of the not very nice guys on tour. And let me tell you, he was fantastic. He was brilliant. He was he was joking. He was good to me. He was interested. Right. You know, he had what. You know, when you go to a cricket club and you spend time with your mates, yeah, and not nobody gives anybody a compliment, do they? Everyone's nah. taking the mick out of each other. Yeah. He had that kind of attitude, right? So. I think he just had our kind of attitude, but other people don't know how to take him. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, because uh, he's obviously got that reputation for some reason, but mainly just they've not got thick enough skin. <laughs> Must be. I thought he was brilliant. <laughs> you know. So, so I, I haven't met anybody who's not very nice, actually. Uh, there, was, there was more guys that were up himself, which were amateurs. As soon as you turn pro, everybody's been really nice. Everyone's been competitive, but nice at the end of it so there's very very in fact there's i can't think of anybody who's been a bit of a, a tool if you know what i mean a tool well <laughs> well, well apart from your your rape man steve wurzel um yeah have you got any funny interesting stories to share from from the golf tours or the golf events that you've been part of that you, that you think are suitable to share with the podcast there was, I'll, I'll tell you one more story from open this was funny now, to tell you this story, we need to go back to the Open being at Royal uh, Lytham, early 90s. And I went with one of my friends, uh, who I played a lot of golf with growing up. And we was in a big crowd, and Vijay Singh was there. And he asked Vijay for his autograph. And Vijay just turned around, looked at him, and walked off. And my friend shouted something really obscene. I can't even tell you what he said. <laughs> Vijay turned around quickly. And he and he just scarpered into the crowd away. And ever since then, he's hated VJ Singh. Oh, like VJ Singh this, VJ Singh that. So I qualify for the Open, and about two weeks before I qualify for the Open, this friend of mine, he just split up with his long-time girlfriend. He was living with her and everything. He was down in the dumps. 
and I said, listen, we'll go up to the Open on Sunday. You come and carry, because he was a scratch golfer, he was really into his golf. Come and carry for me, and I'll try and get the best person I can to carry for, uh, to play with. He said, right, Steve, let's that. you've got a deal. So I was on the practice range at the Open on the Sunday before the tournament, and the Footjoy tent was open. Now, when you're in the Open, they give you free shoes, they give you free, they give you everything, honestly. You're feeling a million dollars. So I walked into the Footjoy tent, and he was sat in front of me, VJ Singh. <laughs> 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 so he's getting some new Footjoy classics. And I never liked I'm never like this normally. I said, hello, Mr. Singh, how are you doing? He said, I'm good, thanks. I said, are you playing today? He said, yes, I'm playing in 10 minutes. And if you get on that first tee, you can play with us. I went, oh, my God. So I ran outside. I said, come on, Andy, we're going to the first tee. He's like, oh, great, who are we playing with? I said, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so we get to the first tee, and then the crowd is gathering. He's like, who are we playing with? Come on, who are we playing with? I said, just, just you wait. It's a nice surprise. Honestly, the tee was full. And then on walk, VJ Singh, he went, you, but... <laughs> like he, he said, I can't believe. Look at you. Oh, no. But I tell you what, VJ Singh was so nice to him. And by the end of it, he had a good chat with him. And even though he was just canning for me, VJ Singh, he was talking to him. He was asking where he came from. And you see a different side to him. That round of golf, VJ Singh was was signing autographs here, there and everywhere. And every tee, every green, every fairway, people were shouting for his autograph. No one knew who I was. So I was just walking along so I didn't get hassled. And VJ signed as many as he could. But I remember saying to my friend Andy, who came, I said, oh, that must be so hard work having to do all these autographs. And do you know, at the end of it, Andy said, I really respect him. He's such a nice guy. So it goes to show, just because someone doesn't sign your autograph doesn't mean they're a bad person. So you won him over in the end? Yeah, it was lovely. Good story, isn't it? It is a good story. It's talking about stories. <laughs> um, yeah. You've been very professional on this podcast, Steve, actually. <laughs> it's not, All right, yeah. It's not the Steve Parry I know. Um, is it not? So what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what's coming here. I'll share a little <sighs> story with the listeners. Um, okay. Um, as, as you mentioned before, you <laughs> you was a, a regular visitor to the cricket club. I love the cricket club, yeah. Yeah, when, right but, yeah when you come down, we have a right laugh. And uh, <laughs> just to sort of give a bit of an insight into your brain, um, <laughs> we had uh, a fancy dress evening, which was the end of season yeah. two. We did it every year. Always yeah. went down a storm. Um, yeah. Certainly <laughs> certainly a lot of drinks consumed, fun was had. Um but I think to say you stole the show one <laughs> one evening would be an understatement. So everyone's <laughs> there, the room's getting busy, and in what Steve Parry, uh, in in what I can only describe as a silver shiny thong, <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> and the best part well, of that, and the best part of that is I remember someone asking you, Oh, what did you do? Did you um have a court on and jump in the taxi? And you went, No, I didn't think of that. I just jumped in the taxi with my phone on. <laughs> I did, I got I jumped in the taxi, the taxi driver looked me up and he went, You forgot your court. I said, I've not drive. <laughs> <laughs> and just well, to... I, I went as party boy off Jackass. 
party. You know the guy who always takes his stuff off and dancing around with a thong on? Ah, right, okay. You maybe should have explained that to people. I know. Well, I actually been out in West Arton that night, and I got home. It was really boring. I got home at nine o'clock, and I knew the uh, fancy dress was going on down at Allerton, and I, I didn't have any outfit. But I knew I had this silver metallic thong. <laughs> so, I, so I rang the wife up. I said, do you mind if I go to the fancy dress in this thong as party boy off Jackass? She went, you fill your boots. <laughs> so I just I just stuck it on and came down. My biggest regret about that fancy dress night was as I walked in, there were loads of kids there. I thought it was an adult fancy dress. <laughs> there, were like, there were loads of like 11, 12, 13-year-old girls there. And the mums were looking at me. I'm like, oh, my God. What have I done? What have I done here? Yeah, what have I done? Right, well, we'll finish it off, Steve. We'll go back to being serious. Okay, serious, Steve. Um, so you've already given a couple of tips. I don't know whether you just want to go over the tip you said. Or, but if for people listening, so, you know, someone like me who... Um, loves his golf, doesn't really get out there enough to improve his game to what I think I probably could get to. What would be a top tip or a bit of advice uh, that you could give to any aspiring golfers out there? Definitely. learn out, Just play more. I know it sounds simple, but the driving range is no good for you. It might pass an hour, but hitting 100 balls the same is, is not going to do you any good. You're better off going out playing nine holes. So get a few of your mates, go and play nine holes. Problem is, it's time consuming, isn't it? But that is the only way to get better. Get out on that golf course and enjoy it. Because once you start playing the game and enjoy it, that's when you start getting better. So would you recommend? Would you recommend people that want to improve? Would you say that's the best thing to do, or do you still think people need to go and see a coach and get the swing analysed? Both. You need to use it properly. The, when I was teaching at the, my golf academy in West Arden, you get two lots of people. You get beginners, right? And there's two kinds of beginners. There's some beginners who would just go out, they'd have a lesson, then they go on the course, then they play two, three times a week, and in five months they're playing properly and they love it. And then you'll get another beginner who say, I'm not going on the course till I've mastered the swing. 18 months later, they still haven't got on the course. And then they give up. You know, so... Get out on the course and just play with your mates. Play for a pound, play for a fiver. <sighs> Nothing will get you better than losing a fiver to your mates. And lessons are good as long as you use them properly. Well, there you go. If you're listening, just go out and play. Um, play with your mates yeah. and go out and enjoy, the, and enjoy the game of golf. Best thing you can do. Right. Cheers, Steve. Well, thank you for that. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed no that. And, uh Hopefully so. Is it all right? Yeah, brilliant. Hopefully so of our listeners. So uh, I'm I'm sure they have, and they'll uh, they'll take some tips away from that. I'm sure. Great stuff. No, thanks, Steve. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on, Steve. Thank you very much. No worries.